The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 672 for April 28th, 2019. Discussing the cream of the prepaid MVNO crop, Verizon announcing its first batch of 5G cities for 2019, and Samsung pauses the release of the Galaxy Fold. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and iOS for $1.99. Well, before we get into the news this week, we want to talk for a few minutes about Joey's recent experience with the Visible prepaid service. Now, as a reminder, Visible is an MVNO using and backed by the Verizon network. They offer unlimited service for $40 a month, although data is limited to just 5 megabits per second for speed. The company has no physical locations. They offer activation, support, and customer interactions all via its application. And after we talked about the service uh, two weeks ago, Joey decided he needed to check this out and try this kind of service for a specific use that he has. So he decided to give it a shot. So Joey, uh, first off, let's talk a little bit about this, uh, the purchasing process in getting it activated and getting it set up and what you're using it on. Right. So, you know, actually, I'm going to take even a step further back. When when we talked about it on the show or you talked about it on the show, I I, I thought about that for a second. I'm like, oh, that's kind of different. I haven't really thought of a prepaid. Um, I haven't seen that many prepaids that say they're limited uh, limited in megabits per second, uh, but unlimited data. So I thought, oh, yeah, well, they're, they say they're unlimited, but there's a, you know, a, a, an 18 gig cap or some other cap or they don't include hotspot and happened to be this particular uh service is unlimited unlimited without any sort of data cap or soft data cap uh they are lower priority than verizon for example but they have unlimited data with hotspot and that is the only one i could find that does that sort of service there's a few others that come close but they're they're all limited in data um so this is very unique. And I've got a, an application where I'm kind of out in a cellular-based area with no Wi-Fi coverage, and I'd just like to have uh, kind of always available data coverage using hotspot only. I don't need the device. I don't need the phone. I don't need text messaging or anything like that. So I decided to give it a try because for 40 bucks is what the monthly service is. I had a spare iPhone, um, and that's how it is. I you know put the uh, basically just put the credit card number in as a... As a um, uh, they didn't actually charge the credit card to get the SIM kit. So they shipped the SIM kit. I got it the next day via FedEx and it, uh, you know, I popped it in the phone, the, the phone reconfigured and it was up and running as soon as I went into the app and said, you know, charge my credit card. Uh, and then it, it, it took off instantly. So it was absolutely painless to get set up and it, uh, works great. It's got the same Verizon coverage, um, that my, uh, you know, normal Verizon has and the, the, the speed tests are showing, you know, they, they usually start out real high, real quick, uh, for a short period of time and then drop down to five megabits per second. All right. So there's obviously some sort of, uh, you know, processors or backend software that is limiting this, uh, the speeds. And, and so as you run those tests, it's, it's dropping them down. The uh, application that you're talking about, um, you know, just to, uh, you know, provide a little bit more of an understanding on that. So uh, I'm familiar with it. It's a, a remote location. Again, it's a cellular based area, but it's also one where um, you would want to have service for multiple devices. So that's uh, the other piece of it that you would want to have 
um, you know, potentially a a, a service that a prepaid carrier may not offer you. So how how have you dealt with uh, the multiple device scenario? Has that been an issue for them? Are you able to connect multiple devices to the service through the hotspot? Yeah, multiple devices did work for me. In, in one of their uh, points, it said you can only connect one, but it, it, it that's not the case, at least on the iPhone. It allowed multiple uh, devices to connect. But also in my application, I'm actually connecting it to a DDWRT uh, router um, that uh, open source, uh, you know, router software includes the ability to use the iPhone hotspot wired uh, with the USB to uh, build the hotspot using that as the data connection for the router that then rebroadcasts Wi-Fi. Right, and so once it does that, you've all just ultimately got one point uh that is being all the traffic is being routed through and so it's it's effectively like one device and then it's virtualizing all those other devices kind of behind it uh i guess it would be the mm-hmm. yep. best way to describe it uh yeah, via it does the, the nat uh, it does yeah, the, the nat, nat translation, translation. Yep. Yep. exactly so it, it seems like that would be uh th- th- so that seems to work out pretty well uh now five megabits i i, I when i saw this i thought okay so this is going to be a, a pretty significant issue for this service and only because we are in a world today where you can on your phone get 20 30 50 100 megabits per second on your home broadband your 100 200 500 a gigabit uh per second in your speeds and five megabits just seems kind of antiquated and slow uh what's your experience been like uh, with using it with multiple devices and for the service that you have uh, it, it seems perfectly normal to me. Uh, in that same exact area, my uh, iPad, uh, the, my normal Verizon service was getting uh, 80 megabits for speed test. But in the the real world application, when I was you know tethered to it, I, I don't notice a difference actually because of that same effect where I said the speed tests start out real fast and then it drops down. That's when they do that sort of thing, they don't actually kick the throttle in until, you know, like, uh, you know, maybe a half a second after you start using data. So the latency and then, of course, your, you know, quick web parts and stuff all download actually really quick, it seems. So, so far, no problem. I, I you know, the tower has not seemed to be um, uh, heavily used yet. And for streaming video, you can, I, I was testing on on my computer and the and the iPad. It can, in fact, you know, uh, stream 1080p uh, video, no problem from Netflix. Um, even though it says it's limited to 480p, but that would be through the the actual device itself and not through uh, the hotspot functionality. And VPNs work, and everything else seems to work fine with it. So for me, this is it. It'll be absolutely uh, perfect uh, for five five megabits. Will be just fine. And uh, the price is right, forty dollars a month. Uh, that's you know for unlimited service. It's really hard to beat that. It is. So for, uh, and if it doesn't work out, I'll just cancel. I just don't renew it. Uh, I just cancel it. So it's uh, pretty, you know, risk-free. Yeah. And I, I love this, uh, you know, this idea of an MVNO offering the service and 
And on the consumer side, you are really feeling like you've got all the control because you're not signing a long-term commitment. Uh, you're not uh, doing anything with credit checks. It's just entering in a credit card um, and buying the service that you want and you use it. And if you once you say you don't need it for a month, you could turn it off and then come back and turn it back on. Because if I recall, there's, there's no activation fee with it either, right? Correct. Yep. There's none of that either. So it's real, very cut and dry. And I, I absolutely love this fact that there's no plans there is nothing this is it that if you sign up for visible you're getting this there's uh you know it's it's pretty it's pretty nice uh for, for at least for this 40 dollars one there there are some other uh no that there's not that i was thinking about something else or another service uh, another prepaid service um the thing that's um uh, i was going to mention so this was a prepaid number and of course it, it it's getting phone calls that i do not want or care about and since it's Verizon, they've got the standard uh, call forwarding is included as well. Star 72, and then you type in a 10-digit phone number. And I just put it to a black hole, just an invalid number with, you know, like uh, with a bunch of zeros in it. So it, it, it's not a valid number. And so callers now who get the, uh, who call it, just get to a, uh, you know, a, a, get a recording of you've entered a, a incorrect phone number. Oh, that's fantastic. What about the text messaging side? Are you seeing a lot of text messages show up or just, just calls? Not none, not, not one. Hmm, interesting. And I guess, you know, you're not, it's not like you're carrying this phone around. It's, nope. you know, stationary, relatively speaking. And Completely. so it's, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're not getting annoyed by things that are happening with it, but I, you obviously don't want to have phone calls coming into it needlessly if you, if you don't need to. So, um, yeah, that's great that you can just forward out the phone calls and it doesn't even matter what the phone number is. And did you get a local number or was it assigned? Yeah, it's a local one. And you yeah. could, yeah, I had a huge selection of numbers to choose from locally, mm, including all four of the area codes in the metro area here. Yeah, that that's actually one of the more interesting things about it. It's like how how would they even have access to all those numbers? But it's Verizon, right? Because it is Verizon. That's right. Because it's Verizon backed. So, uh, anyway, there's a it's it's a very interesting service. Um, if you are looking for something like this, go check it out. Um, is it visible dot com or I think what, it is. Yeah, I think it was too. Uh, they will have, uh, you know, all terrible the details name. up there. Yeah, terrible name. Although it is, I mean, you could say, you could call it transparent, right? Because it's kind of what it feels like is it's a transparent service. It's a service that's being offered where you're getting pretty much everything, you know, very clearly up front. And uh, I'm guessing that's where the name is coming from. But um, good stuff. And uh, check it out if you're looking for a similar type of service. Uh, next up, uh, Joey also had a, a need this week. He has multiple iPads, one of course, that he uses primarily the latest iPad Pro, but then also has an older iPad and um, it had a screen on it that needed to be replaced. And so he tried to go at it on his own. And uh, we talked a few weeks ago about his experience replacing a phone screen. And that was the iPhone SE, which, of course, had its challenges, but nothing like having to replace a screen on an iPad. And in fact, he and I haven't even talked about this. All I've seen is just a couple of pictures that he he sent over after he replaced it. So I, I'm very curious to hear, Joey, how, how it went with the replacement and um, you know what differences you've seen uh, with that new screen versus the original OEM screen. Right. So I think in November, I dropped my iPad Pro 10.5. And we've talked about this numerous times before. So it, it, it at the time, I could do a third-party a uh, repair shop, I could send it off. It would be $300. I could have sent it to Apple for $500 to get the screen replaced. I didn't like either of those options because, uh, well, at the time, the new iPad Pro 11 was out. 
so, and it, you know, costs a little bit more, but I'm like, well, at this point, I might as well get a new one. So I just stuck the other one on the shelf broken and, and hadn't thought about it until uh, Monday of this week. And I decided to do a search to see what screen, uh, you know, screen prices are. And I had done this previously, but it, it never uh, came. It never came up that there was any actually screens I could buy to do it myself. And this in this case, there is one. There's one company that sells them. And I think what they do is actually uh, build them and refurbish them. They take iPad Pros that have been sent in for, you know, various reasons, either, man, uh, you know, uh, trade-ins or something like that. And they rebuild the screens and then send them out as units that you can um, uh, then install in your iPad. They're not like manufactured by third-party companies because it looked... It looked like it had been kind of re uh, redone, and it looked like OEM parts. And the performance of it, you know, since I got it installed, does look uh, look does look perfect. So it was two hundred dollars for the screen, and it came with the whole little toolkit uh, to, to 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 open it up, except for a heat gun or a, a hair dryer because uh, you want to soften up the adhesive. And it's just got a narrow, tiny little bit of adhesive around the screen. And I just used the tools and you know a couple of YouTube videos to see where to avoid. Uh, really scraping it where some of the cables are in the cameras. And it was actually uh, very easy to get it open and get that done. Since I had dropped the iPad, I did have to do some finagling of the aluminum to, to, to open it back up. So I just used some wrenches and, you know, some, some fine sandpaper to kind of, uh, you know, get the, the area back in shape where it won't break the new screen because it was enough to the point where it would have probably cracked the screen if I'd have pushed down on that. So that was the one thing that was actually the hardest about it. Um, but it was a very simple to do a few, uh, you know, tiny little Phillips screws and, uh, you know, pop off a few cables. Uh, the hardest part was kind of prying up the, the, uh, touch ID because you, you have to move that from your old screen to the new one because they can't, uh, those parts are not available. Uh, at all, and then they, even if they were, they'd not, they would not work with your uh, iPad because of the the way they 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 sync them up uh, through Apple only. So this was a, a a definitely a cheaper cheaper option for me. Two hundred dollars was the point where I was like, I can justify uh, doing this. So uh, I ordered a white screen to replace my black screen because I had the the black model, and I really like that look, just like I did with the iPhone SE, and uh, it it's perfect. Yeah, and obviously the screen itself, um, as you mentioned, is appears to be at least a refurbished. So it's it the quality is, um, you know, as it should be, uh, as an original screen would be. Um, and uh, as you put it back together, um, how do they? How do you attach the screen back in? Because obviously there is some glue that's used from the OEM screen, but it, how does that work when you get it refurbished? Yeah, it had the adhesive pre-installed on it. It worked well on three of the three of the four corners. On my bottom side, it didn't stick real well, and it could be because of the the way the iPad was bent, and that's actually probably really why it's uh, it's not stuck real down. But I've got a, a you know a cheap case on order that'll actually you know cover that part of the screen and keep it uh, keep it together. I've got some other double sided tape. I could easily just uh, heat it back up and pull it up, pull it apart and clean off the, you know, and, and re glue it. I just, um, I'm just going to use a case instead of doing that. But uh, it, sometimes that happens with them where the, the adhesive is a little bit weaker. Um, but it's not, it's not a huge deal, at least for me on this one. But I, I'm, I'm happy I got it done because, uh, Two days after I ordered it, before I got the screen replaced, I dropped the iPad Pro 11 and broke that screen. <laughs> so you trade one for the other, I guess. Yes, is, is the that's answer what I'm going to do. And luckily, well, I did buy the Apple Care on the newer one. So 
I'll have to pay the $50 to have them replace it. But uh, when I send it off, I will now have an iPad to use. So it was very strange timing that I had ordered. I, I think I had a premonition and ordered that screen before uh, this happened. So it was a very strange uh, coincidence. And the one that you just broke, uh, the 10, whatever it is, the, the newest iPad Pro 10 inch, does that one have... Or the 11, sorry. Does that one have uh, even any usability to it anymore? Um, yeah, it's working fine. I've been using it the past few days. It, it's The screen is pretty broken. The, the bottom edges got some chunks out of it where it's kind of sharp, but but it, it works fine. Whereas the 10.5 was completely unusable. I absolutely destroyed the screen. Yeah, th- this is so crazy is that, um, and, and both, if I recall, happened basically the same thing where it just like slid off of a chair onto a tile yep. floor, correct? Yep, that's what it did. Lands face down because uh, the the, ten, the 11 I had actually in a pretty good case and it just landed face down right on probably at, you know, edge of a tile and, and, and just the, the, the gravity is, was enough to, to, to break it. Um, one thing, uh, going back to the repair part about the 10.5, I wanted to mention, I the, the part that I bought was $200 because that included the LCD and the the outside glass and the digitizer for I think it was 70 or 80 dollars I could have bought just the outside glass and the digitizer where you have to to, to delaminate basically the, the the screen from the glass itself however my damage was so severe I had you know purple and bad lines going across my LCD so I um, decided to, to go for the full repair part with the LCD if my LCD was in good condition like let's say my 11 for example uh, I would probably just get the outside glass to replace it. So it would have actually been a cheaper repair, but that's not available yet for the 11s. And I know when I, I, I looked at this before, they, the 10.5s were not either. So kind of going all the way back in time here, this is another good reason to buy slightly older devices like you know the iPhone SE now and of course the iPads that are a little bit older because now repair parts become available uh, at a much cheaper price. Yeah, that's a really great point. And, you know, it is interesting, too, to, to think about what that would mean. Uh, it's one thing to literally pull everything out, disconnect the cables and reconnect, uh, you know, that new LCD. Um, but to go and just get that new piece of glass and go through the process of uh, delaminating it from uh, the digitizer and then the LCD that I mean that seems like it could be pretty tricky too and you've got to I would think so I didn't watch any videos on that one I, I should go back and actually see what that entails because uh, you know I didn't because I that that's not what I ordered but uh, it probably is and I'm sure it involves heat um, where you have to uh, you basically pry it apart and, and be careful because these, these glass you know the, the glass is fragile right and, and at that point you're going to if you break the LCD which is likely if you don't know what you're doing uh then you're out the 70 dollars you're gonna have to pay the 200 dollars to get the whole thing so um it probably wise the way that you did it just because then you get the the whole new kind of you know uh, unit all together and and go from there so anyway very interesting stuff um yeah your first ipad replacement it is it's the first time i've actually opened up an ipad uh the inside was exceptionally clean as far as the design, there's two batteries and the main board is down the middle and it's all covered in black. Uh, and it, 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 it looks kind of fake when it's open because there's like no circuitry, nothing. It, it, uh, and everything's all just black inside. So it was kind of a, um, it, it, it was kind of fancy inside. Uh, 
personally have never seen the inside of an iPad uh, up up close. Uh, of course, just pictures, but uh, and I've never done any replacements, uh, repairs myself, so don't have any uh, context to that. So pretty neat stuff, and I uh, wanted to make sure we shared that here on the show. Well, let's jump into the news. First up, Samsung successfully manufacturing and testing chips for future phones to use its cutting-edge 5 nanometer process. The chips have smaller transistors, resulting in chips that are more power-efficient and faster than today's chips based on the 7 nanometer or larger processes. Samsung makes processor chips for itself as well as Qualcomm. Samsung expects the new 5 nanometer chips to reach phones in 2020. Their rival, TMSC, which manufactures processor chips for Apple, has also started testing its 5 nanometer chips recently as well. Next up, the U.S. mobile industry's top lobbying group is opposing a proposed California state law that would prohibit throttling of fire departments and other public safety agencies during emergencies. As reported this week by State Scoop, wireless industry lobby group CTIA has written lawmakers to oppose the bill that is currently written. CTIA said the bill's prohibition on throttling is too vague and that it should apply only when the U.S. president or California governor declares emergencies and not when local governments declare emergencies. The group's letter also suggested that the industry would sue the state if the bill is passed in its current form, saying the bill would result in serious unintended consequences, including needless litigation. The bill's vague mandates problematic emergency trigger requirements and failure to include notification requirements could work to impede activities by first responders during disasters, said the CTIA. The group said that it must oppose AB 1699 unless it is amended to address the foregoing concerns. Uh, AT&T, T-Mobile, Sprint, Verizon, and other carriers um, have all been represented by CTIA in the matter. And despite their opposition, the bill proposed by the state assembly member uh, has sailed through the assembly committee. Uh, The Committee on Communications and Conveyance, uh, which is the group that heard this bill, uh, voted 12 to 0 to advance the bill. Uh, Levine, who is a Democrat from Marin County's uh, Marin County, uh, his chief of staff, Terry Shands, told Ars Technica uh, this week that a committee analysis of the bill says that CTIA was the only organization to register opposition. The next step for the bill is on April 30th, and there's a hearing with the Assembly Privacy and Consumer Protection Committee in its response to Verizon on throttling of unlimited data plans used by Santa Clara firefighters. Uh, This bill uh, would be the largest uh, of its kind to pass if, in fact, it does. What I find interesting about this, it's the the, the fact that they're they're actual, um, you know, emergency responders have these plans. Why are they throttled at all, even though they're, you know, either the unlimited or they have lots of, uh, you know, gigs available? At that point, they should just have to pay overage charges instead of having, uh, you know, plans that get throttled because they are for emergency responders. This none of this should even be, uh, uh, you know, applicable because the plan should be separate or special and or no throttling ever happens for a uh, an agency that is considered a first responder or something that's you know critical service it is one of the interesting you know things to think about when you are choosing a plan as a consumer you are going and looking at a website or going to a store and talking to somebody and they're providing you with a list of options that you have and usually you've got you know just a handful to choose from when you're a business you are going in and uh with the exception of perhaps data buckets that might be of a 
a higher number uh, of, of the amount in them, it's relatively the same plan. And the reason is, of course, because everything is unlimited at this point. And so it's not like they're going to charge you additional, you know, it's not going to cost anymore to buy the plan. You're effectively buying consumer plans, again, with the exception of what's happening on uh, the data bucket side. Now, with the world of unlimited kind of coming back into vogue, uh, for lack of a better term, the option to buy unlimited again, for businesses, it's still relatively similar to what you buy as a consumer. And so the issue here is that if you are an agency uh, that supports emergency services and you are buying devices for those folks that are working within that uh, that scope of work, they are getting these plans on these devices that are basically the same as consumers. And so there's no way to differentiate them. That is, I think, inherently the issue that has to get resolved is that we've got to figure out a way to say, all right, this is a firefighter, this is an EMT. And they're, to your point, Joey, do this on the carrier side. When these are either getting purchased by, paid by, uh, just, you know, uh, given out to uh, EMS personnel, have those at that time it, when, when these plans get flagged, not by going in and creating legislation in order to make that happen. Right. The, the, it could just be, you know, the carrier should say, oh, this is an emergency responder. This cannot be throttled and they need to, they, they need to, you know, uh, have a different plan for this where this, these throttled unlimited plans are, are not an option. They should not be an option. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very peculiar thing, and uh, ultimately, I think there's there's going to be you know a, a lot of uh, you know a lot of talk about this as it goes through, and ultimately, the the state of California has got to figure this out um, for how they make sure that they're uh, you know doing this appropriately, and 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 perhaps that is just in fact the issue that it's just because it's one state that is trying to push on this, and it's not the entire country, uh, but um, a deployment of a device to an, uh, a first responder, police officer, et cetera, should be at that point, it, it should be kind of, it, why are we even charging them at all is almost kind of the question, right? Like this is for these purposes and just charge each agency a specific amount for a specific number of people and basically give them whatever they want. But that's not the way that it works when you've got private companies that are distributing to public entities. Right. And of course, you know, that's, it's fine. It's a business thing, but you know, I, I haven't even looked at the current plans on like, let's say Verizon, for example, I don't even know if they have data bucket plans available anymore to, to even purchase. Uh, I, I'm not sure if they even do that because, uh, they j basically, they, they sell, you know, unlimited with unlimited plus with unlimited, 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 unlimited. It, it but it just means they give you a little bit more until they throttle you. So it's, uh, I, I I don't know how anybody's supposed to really understand this. Verizon was one of the carriers that hung out the longest uh, before they they cut back on the the buckets, and um, I, I haven't looked at it either. Not going to because it doesn't necessarily matter. But it is an interesting uh, an interesting issue here that has uh, come up uh, with uh, this large large wildfire that uh, occurred back in the uh, Santa Clara area a couple of years back. Uh, well, moving on to AT and T news. Earlier this year, Sprint had sued AT and T over its a quote, blatant, misleading 5GE network. The two carriers this week settled that lawsuit, but AT&T, as a result, will continue to advertise and display its controversial 5GE branding. 
The Dallas Business Journal was the first to report that AT&T and Sprint had settled the dispute. AT&T has since officially confirmed the agreement in statements, saying the two have amicably settled the matter. Sprint has also confirmed the settlement. Specifics of the deal, however, are unclear. The Business Journal reports uh, that persons familiar with the matter say AT&T will continue to use the 5G evolution marketing and branding. And if that's true, it's possible that AT&T and Sprint uh, came, that AT&T paid Sprint a lump sum to settle the lawsuit, or perhaps Sprint is essentially dropping the suit altogether. Sprint first uh, went after AT&T with a lawsuit back in February, and the carrier CTO alleges that the 5GE branding was blatantly misleading consumers. Sprint uh, argued uh, that AT&T was damaging the reputation of 5G as others tried to roll out legitimate early entry into the 5G network space. Sprint also slammed AT&T in an article in the New York Times uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, AT&T has, of course, defended itself, saying that 5G evolution is simply meant to let customers know when their device is in an area where speeds are up to twice as fast as standard LTE. Of course, certain speed tests have cast doubt on the true speeds of 5GE. Now, in real AT&T 5G news, CEO Randall Stevenson said during the company's earnings call this week that its 5G plans in the future will likely be tiered with consumers paying more for faster speeds, similar to what you would pay uh, with a broadband internet plan based on the speed level that you chose. According to Stevenson, he said, I'll be very surprised if when we move into wireless, the pricing regime in wireless doesn't look like something like the pricing regime you see for fixed line service. Uh, if you can offer a gig speed, there are some customers that are willing to pay a premium for 500 meg to a gig and so forth. So we expect that to be a case. We're two to three years away from seeing that though play out. And in fact, when I was doing some more research on the prepaid side of things, there are some plans already like that. Uh, there's a five megabit, I can't remember what company it was, but one has a five megabit, a 10 megabit, and a uh, it's like 15 or 20 megabit uh, speed um, that you can choose. And in each one of those levels is $5 more per month to get that speed. Yeah, and it, it obviously they're uh, trying to figure out how this business model is going to work. It's very different than LTE, uh, where it's kind of a one-size-fits-all, effectively at this point, um, with some nuances. But for the most part, people are just paying for an unlimited amount of uh, data and uh, using what they can, and then it drops down after a certain point. But very few people actually reach that point. Right, and I think that's exactly what they're going to do here. I, I mean, they are going to do this tiered service. I think that's... Uh, uh, that's the way they can, you know, monetize and make more money. And that's exactly how they're going to do it. Yeah. And of course, earlier this month, Verizon launching its 5G service, both in Chicago and Minneapolis with a $5 premium uh, over its LTE Unlimited plans. With that 5G rollout from the carrier, uh, it's uh, no telling of when the throttling for its next gen network will stick around or if it's going to actually change over time. Uh, T-Mobile, of course, committing to offering 5G to customers without raising prices, but they're not rolling out a the new standard uh, as fast as these other carriers are, so no real options yet for customers anyway. Well, Verizon has repriced its phone activation fees this week, lowering the cost for online and in-app pre uh, phone purchases while raising the fee for in-store and over-the-phone activations. Previously, all phones incurred a $30 fee, the new activation fee, uh, when you activate a phone online, is only $20, while phone purchases, including upgrades that require interaction with a Verizon employee, uh, whether in-store or over the phone, will now be $40 per line to activate. Well, Verizon this week announcing its list of 20 cities that will offer 5G coverage in 2019. 
Here they are, the first list of 5G towns, including Atlanta, Boston, Charlotte, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Columbus, Dallas, Des Moines, Denver, Detroit, Houston, Indy, Kansas City, Little Rock, Memphis, Phoenix, Providence, San Diego, Salt Lake City, and Washington, D.C. The company has already launched mobile 5G service in Chicago and Minneapolis, as we just mentioned, and they continue to promise 5G in more than 30 cities by the end of the year, leaving us with at least 10 cities yet to be announced. Uh, Verizon offers 5G service with the Moto Z3 plus the 5G Moto Mod attachment. The first phone with integrated 5G was expected to be the Samsung Galaxy S10 5G, which became available for pre-order very recently and hit stores on May 16th. Well, in other news, CoolPad this week announcing Family Labs. This is a new app that lets parents communicate, locate, and provide remote support to multiple family members, both on Android and iOS devices. The first phase of Family Labs is launching on Indiegogo, where available bundles include the application, a new CoolPad phone, and service from Mint Mobile. Bundles start at $99 with one month of service, where larger bundles include up to three months of service, including unlimited talk and text, plus eight gigs of 4G data per month. The initial uh, version of the application will offer location tracking, geofencing with alerts, content filtering, remote setting of alarms and reminders, and panic alerts. CoolPad will actively solicit feedback and ideas from Indiegogo supporters in order to refine the application before a wider launch beyond Indiegogo. The included phone is the CoolPad Model M, which is based on the Revel Plus for T-Mobile. CoolPad will make both iOS and Android versions of the application available for our Indiegogo customers to download and test on their phones. The target shipping time frame for Indiegogo customers is June. And beyond the application, Family Labs is also a platform and brand a CoolPad will use for additional family-oriented products. The company launched Dino, which is a smartwatch for kids, back in January. Well, into device news, Samsung on Monday said it is delaying the debut of its Galaxy Fold smartphone until at least May. This, according to a report from the Wall Street Journal, the folding phone, folding screen phone, that is, was set to go on sale this past Friday, April 26th. Uh, but a number of review units that were shipped out to various media outlets incurred issues where you had screens either breaking or uh, failing on the reviewers within just a couple of days. So very interesting to see uh, just how quick they were to put this on delay and uh, very interested to see what this means for the future of the device and really for uh, folding smartphones in general. Right. Uh, iFixit had a teardown of it, which was which was weird because there were only review units out. They weren't they're not available for purchase yet. And uh, iFixit really wasn't supposed to do that. Uh, uh, Samsung requested that they pull it down and they did, in fact, pull that uh, uh, that teardown of the the fold uh, down. But what they discovered is that there's a big gap that allows debris to get into the phone, into the folding mechanism, into the hinge uh, when the phone is closed. Uh, For example, if you put it in your pocket, junk and lint and crumbs can get in there. And then, of course, when you open it, that crumb can be stuck in the hinge and then it pushes up against the back of the screen and destroys it. Yeah, which is a crazy thing that you it's just come up now with these review units that have gone up. But when you think about it, well, I've tested this thing. It's been in laboratories and uh, it's been in areas where uh, it's been relatively controlled. But when you get it out into the hands of reviewers, 
uh, you know, it, 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 they're putting it through its full paces and ultimately things like this come up. And, it, and unfortunately, it's caused, um, you know, a really bad amount of uh, PR from this standpoint of what is actually happening with this device. It is. And I wonder if, you know, that, that yeah, they, I'm sure they had a robot opening and closing it hundreds of thousands of times and it can withstand that no problem. But, you know, throw a little dust at it uh, and you've got a problem, I suppose, not too much different than the, you know, MacBook uh, keyboards that are going on these days. It's kind of it's kind of bizarre that, uh, you know, debris testing isn't being really done appropriately here. So it's either they were rushing out or they just uh, uh, forgot to test for these things. Uh, yeah, you know, you wonder what what the answer is to that question, because uh, you got to imagine that a device of uh, what appears to be a, a high level of fragility would have a, a greater amount of testing in the real world done with it in order to prevent situations like this. But uh, in this case, that uh, was uh, is not as apparent as uh, one would hope. And ultimately, there's a delay now on when this thing is going to get released. So a lot of uh, a lot of interesting stuff with this one and uh, a lot of fodder about whether or not it's actually going to be a real thing now or if they're just going to flat out pull this thing off the market. But um, uh, certainly they want to get it right. It's very interesting. The uh, the positive uh, re reviews or parts of the reviews that you read or saw, uh, I talked about how, granted, it's a $2,000 smartphone, but the $2,000 smartphone is really like a mini tablet. And if you are uh, interested in carrying something that can you can take advantage of a very large screen uh, and a very interesting aspect ratio, uh, this is the type of device that you might want because it just kind of pulls all of that stuff together and uh, you can unfold it and literally have... Uh, this massive screen right in your hands pulled directly out of your pocket. So it's a very interesting concept, and I, I really hope they get it figured out. Well, as we mentioned in Verizon News, the carrier started accepting pre-orders for the Galaxy S10 5G, its first phone with integrated 5G. The phone will hit stores May 16th, as we said. Uh, it will uh, be announced and released in the configuration of 256 gigs of storage for $1,300, plus a new option for 512 gigs of storage for $1,400. The S10 5G does not have a memory card slot to add storage, and Verizon has a limited time exclusive on the S10 5G here in the U.S. and will retain an exclusive on the majestic black color going forward. Verizon will also offer the phone in crown silver, and they're offering several promo deals for those who pre-order the phone, uh, including free 5G service, which is normally $10 a month, free Galaxy Buds, and a Samsung wireless charging battery pack. In addition, customers can trade in an old phone for up to $450 in savings, and new customers switching to Verizon get a $200 prepaid MasterCard. The S10 5G is small or similar to the S10 Plus, but with a larger screen, larger battery, and advanced depth cameras on the front and back. Verizon plans to offer 5G service in the downtown areas of over 30 metro U.S. cities by the end of the year. Chicago and Minneapolis have already launched, and Verizon has announced the next 20 cities, as we talked about. Uh, because of our, the initial 5G network only using the 28 gigahertz band, though, which is millimeter wave, uh, it will offer very high speeds, but a very limited range. Each cell is limited to just a few hundred feet from the cell itself and generally does not reach indoors. So don't expect to have uh, LTE coverage in uh, one of those cities that we mentioned right off the bat, it's going to take 5G coverage. Uh, excuse me, 5G coverage yep. uh, right off the bat with these uh, devices uh, and these cities that they've uh, announced. It's going to take a while for this uh, network to get propagated out and to be able to be used like we understand it today with 4G service. 
Exactly. And it's going to be something where we've got to have little towers everywhere, basically, you know, behind where there's no surfaces blocking, you know, uh, between you and the tower. It's got to be basically line of sight. You have to be able to actually see the antenna. Yeah. And it's it sounds um, like very specific. But if you think about the, the, the frequency, uh, the spectrum that's being used in those frequencies, uh, 28 gigahertz is uh, you know, 20 times, or at least 10 times higher, uh, and really 20 times in, in kind of the best you know, frequency propagation, uh, uh, you know, spectrum that's out there, uh, that you have to really think about what this means from a physics perspective, uh, the, the waves are so small, uh, that there's just very little, uh, opportunity for them to penetrate any buildings. And if you think about, how bad um, your service is with your five gigahertz router, take that and, and multiply it by four. And that drop off that goes from the 2.4 gigahertz spectrum that you're using to, to the five gigahertz. And that's really just I call it a magnitude of one or it's, it's not, not really how that works, but it's, it's, you know, 2.4 up to five gigahertz. And if you go from five gigahertz, um, you know, think about what it would mean to be four times worse than that. That's what we're talking about here is um, it, it's just very difficult. It does not work well um, when you've got, as Joey mentions, any obstructions. And uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, it, there's going to be a lot of work that's going to need to be done here in order to make this network work appropriately. That said, uh, the spectrum, of course, being a finite resource, a lot of it being used for these ultra fast speeds. And so we're going to have to need we're going to need to have multiple antennas um, around to support areas because we're going to want to reuse that spectrum uh, over and over to make sure that the network is uh, not overwhelmed by the people using it. Yeah, exactly. And of course, uh, this particular, you know, frequency and this type of service will be, you know, ideal for a stadium, for example, where you've got lots of people in there. They can have antennas every 25 feet and blanket the place with uh, ultra fast coverage and be able to support it without any problem. And that's kind of really what this is, uh, you know, really good for. And there are obviously a lot of, uh, other pieces of spectrum or swaths of spectrum that are going to be used for these networks. Uh, it's just going to be a while. We talked last week in one of the questions about this, how you've got to start sunsetting some of these older networks in order to take advantage of that spectrum and reuse it and make sure that we've got, uh, the ability to take advantage fully of what we have available to us. But it also means that we're going to lose some of those older networks. And as we go through this process, and that's not something that happens overnight. Uh, you know, these are networks that we're going to hear about them being sunsetted over the next couple of years. And then it's going to take a year or so after that before they finally are shut down before that spectrum can be reused. So uh, don't expect this stuff again overnight. This is where the carriers that have big chunks of spectrum uh, that are lower than uh, this millimeter wave stuff are really going to be able to, I think, excel because they're going to be able to deploy these networks a little bit faster and be able to get customers running up and running on that much, much uh, quicker. So um, it's it's a very interesting conundrum, but something that we've got to deal with and, and the carriers are doing what they can to uh, work through it as they go. Well, in software news, Google's activity-based tracking application, Google Fit, is now available for iPhone and other iOS devices. The app supports Apple Health, so it can automatically import activity data captured by the Apple Watch. It can also sync with smartwatches powered by Wear OS by Google. 
Like the Android version of the app, it tracks two key metrics, move minutes for basic movement and heart points for more strenuous exercise. It also imports and logs more detailed exercise data. The app encourages you to reach activity goals recommended by the American Heart Association and World Health Organization. Google Fit is available for free from the Apple App Store. And finally, in software news, a new option has appeared in Google Play this week to automatically continuously import passes, including tickets and loyalty cards, from emails received in Gmail. The option is disabled by default, but is now available for most users within the Google Play application under Settings and then General and Gmail Imports. Passes added via this feature are marked with a mail icon, and the pass includes a link to the specific email in its from which it was generated. And I want to uh, clarify, it's it's Google Pay and not Play. Oh, excuse me, Google Pay. Yes, it's that's slightly different. Yes, very different. Uh, within the Google Pay application, yes. Thank you very much. Uh, but I- anyway, interesting enough uh, that it uh, it's going to automatically be importing these from uh, within the Google Pay application um, that uh, will ultimately be able to be used for those uh, passes. Well, no questions or comments this week, but if you have anything for us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com or give us a call uh, to 650-999-0524 and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.